Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Movie Attic Headquarters with your host, Betty Jo Tucker, author of Confessions of a Movie Attic, right here at www.blogtalkradio.com.
Hi, all you movie fans out there. This is Betty Jo Tucker welcoming you to Movie Addict Headquarters. I'm extra excited about today's show, folks, because we're doing something very dear to my heart. That's why we began with Dave Barnes singing, All I Want for Christmas is You. And by the way, thanks to Richard in Australia for finding us that tune. You know, we call today's show Remembering Two Romantic Christmases. It co-stars George and Lizette Bettinger, who will be reading the parts of Harry and Elizabeth Lawrence in a taped version of Chapter 1 from It Had to Be Us, the romantic memoir written by my husband and me under those pen names and now in the early stages of film development. Chapter 1 deals with two special holiday seasons that started Harry and Elizabeth on the road to reconciliation after being estranged and divorced for almost 20 years. Count them, 20 years. It's written in a He Remembers, She Remembers format, and I'm so grateful to George and Lizette for taking part in today's special episode. They are such talented people. George is an actor, comedian, producer, writer, and director. He's won acclaim for his uncanny impressions, including Groucho Marx, Jack Benny, George Burns, and the Three Stooges. Lizette is a versatile actress, as well as a soprano with experience at the Metropolitan Opera. And the Bettingers have such a passion for bringing back the golden era of radio on their very entertaining mom-and-pop shop show, which airs on Dreamstream Radio. They are truly Mr. and Mrs. Showbiz to me. But it's important, folks, to point out that George and Lizette will be displaying more of their dramatic than comic talents on today's tape because they're reading the bittersweet section of the book. And, of course, they're totally believable. Now, the tape runs a little over 15 minutes, followed by a favorite Christmas song performed by the great Judy Garland. And then after the tape, we'll have time for more information about It Had to Be Us. So, okay, now sit back, relax, and listen to It Had to Be Us, Chapter 1, as Harry and Elizabeth share what they remember about two Christmases way back in the 1990s. my dreams because I loved her so. 
When the dreams began to fade at the end of our marriage, for reasons I could not or would not understand, we parted. I loved her so and wished for somebody better than me. When she did find someone else, I fell into a deep depression. I told our children never to tell me anything about her, and they respected my wishes. At our daughter's house, Elizabeth doesn't look well. She tells me she is working 12 to 14 hours a day and has advanced in her academic career. I feel some satisfaction in having helped her obtain an education that qualifies for this kind of success. Still, I show my frustration by replying sarcastically, So what's new? I see she is taken back by my remark because of the remainder of one of her problems. I wish I hadn't said that. I never want to hurt her again. Oh, sure, she is concerned about the family. Her words do not seem true to me. Obviously, her career and persona are still most important things in her life. On my way home, I can't stop thinking of her and the way we were. The pain of seeing her again is devastating. Elizabeth remembers. Claire told me she asked her dad to come over on Christmas morning. She wondered if I would mind, since I planned to stay all night at her house on Christmas Eve. I said, no, not at all. But the same old anxiety came over me anyway. What would Harry think of me after all these years? What would we talk about? Would I get a hug? But not necessarily in that order. I got up at the ridiculous hour of 4 a.m. to dress and put on makeup so I wouldn't look so bad when he arrived. He showed up around 8.30 in the morning. Hi, how are you, he asked, followed by, what are you doing now? I explained I was working long hours each day at my new job as a college vice president, to which he replied, oh, just like you always did. That hurt, but it gave me something to think about. While I was alone in the kitchen for a short time before he left, Harry came into the room and said, Never forget, Elizabeth, you're a survivor. Because he seemed so caring and dear at the moment, I knew he regretted his earlier harsh comment. I just had to hug him, and that one embrace warmed my heart as nothing had for 19 long years. I couldn't help remembering our good times together. I thought about how much I loved being close to him, and about the tears I shed when he left me. During one of our last conversations before we parted, I remember telling him I thought we would never hug again. I would die. To be honest with myself, I couldn't figure the bad times either. I recall the night I admitted myself to an alcoholism treatment facility. Ironically, it was on St. Patrick's Day, not exactly the day I usually celebrated one of my favorite holidays. Harry had gone to the dog races. I refused to participate in He refused to participate in the program with me, claiming he couldn't get in touch with his feelings. This devastated me. I knew he was codependent and needed help too. It also reinforced my low opinion of myself because of my drinking weight gain, and what I thought was the loss of Harry's love. I felt so alone. After the divorce, I was vulnerable and married again, too. 
too quickly, and on the rebound. I know now this was not fair because I still had such strong feelings for Harry. However, my excessive guilt motivated me to try to make the best of a bad situation. I went into a kind of a trance-like existence in which I was easily manipulated. I repressed so much in order to survive. March 1994, Harry remembers. I hear from Elizabeth in March in a card expressing sympathy about the death of my mother who passed away in February. Because it's signed regards Elizabeth, I feel hurt by such coldness. My love for this woman has destroyed all my relationships with others these many years, so I harbor a deep resentment that she can go on as if nothing had happened in the years we were together. Oh well, I have a good life. I play golf with my friends every day, watch television every night, and have all the money I need. No problem. Christmas Day, 1994. Elizabeth remembers. Again this year, my daughter told me she had invited her dad over for Christmas morning, and this time I really look forward to seeing him. But he didn't arrive until close to noon. Did he think I would have gone by then? When he came in, we were all playing Scrabble. He looked so good to me, but I was very worried about the scars on my face from a recent skin cancer surgery and how I would look to him. Later, he offered to take me back to my sister Bridget's house since our daughter was busy with Christmas obligations. While driving to my sister's, Harry told me he still thought I was the greatest person and that he felt that I had been a good part of his life. He even touched my hand at one point. This surprised and delighted me. He said he hoped I had no animosity toward him for the past because of he had suffered from his tunnel vision. When we arrived at my sister's place, he was just going to let me go in alone, but I said, you wouldn't let an opportunity like this go by, would you? We could cause quite a scene here. He agreed immediately, which proved his great sense of humor was still intact. We went inside together, much to the astonishment of everyone. I will be grateful forever to my brother-in-law for asking Harry a question I was not brave enough to ask. Are you still playing the dogs? Greyhounds. Harry answered, only a couple of times a year when Dottie and Will, my sister and brother-in-law, come to visit. That answer was the best Christmas present I could have ever received. It meant one of our major problems from the past was no longer there. It was a Merry Christmas indeed. Harry remembers. I must go to my daughter's home for Christmas, and Elizabeth will be there again. It will be easier to see her this time. I have hardened myself against my feelings for her. I have been so foolish these many years, thinking, hoping she might still care for me. She's a widow now. Could there be something between us again? No way. I tell myself, but uh, no problem. She looks better than last year. It seems she has retired and writes movie reviews. I hope she is happy in taking care of herself. 
I also can't help wondering if she possesses someone new. No, I don't want to know. When she needs a ride to her sisters, though hesitant, I volunteer. I feel the need to say a few things to her in private. Driving along with Elizabeth, I experience tender feelings for her as well as a hard need to get back to her. I just want you to know how much I admired your accomplishments when we were married, I tell her. She turns her head and smiles sweetly, so I continue. I remember how we used to love going to the movies together. You must really enjoy writing reviews. I want her to realize that at least I haven't forgotten her past. When we arrive at Bridget's house, we decide to pretend we are back together again in order to observe the shocked reactions of her sister and brother-in-law. It seems to work, and I feel a closeness with her again. However, while driving home, I reflect that she's given me no recognition of the good times we shared in the past. The end of December 1994, Elizabeth remembers. The next day I wrote Harry a note thanking him for driving me to my sister's and for the nice things he said about me. I also explained that I had no animosity toward him, only good feelings. I suggested that we go to dinner or a movie before I left for California. If he was interested, I indicated he would call me at our daughter's or at my sister's. A couple of days later, he phoned me, and we made arrangements to meet on New Year's Day. When Bridget asked me, what's all this with Harry? I answered, I really don't know. But I did realize it was impossible to hide my excitement and nervousness about our date. Harry remembers. I received a letter from Elizabeth a couple of days after Christmas. She thanked me for taking her to her sisters for the nice things I said to her. It was signed, Fondly Elizabeth. I decided to call her about dinner and movie suggestion, knowing I can come up with some excuse later. But then I think that fondly, hmm, she signed her, her note. Oh, what the hell, I'll go. New Year's Day, 1995. Harry remembers. On New Year's Day, we go to dinner in a small Italian restaurant. She looks so beautiful across from me. I think to myself, this will be our last meeting. She will go back to Los Angeles and marry someone else. Again, I will not have to see her anymore. Maybe if she did remarry, my love for her would finally die. However, the thought of her being with someone else again is unbearable. We discuss our two children and how loving they are with our grandchildren. We agree the hectic environment that they were raised in has not affected them severely. Elizabeth reveals to me a considerable tax problem that she can't resolve. At first, I find it hard to understand how a person with a salary like hers get, get, can get into such trouble with taxes. Then I remember how she used to borrow secretly from loan companies to pay tuition for students who couldn't afford to college. Still, up to her old tricks, probably. When we order dinner, I find out that she is now a vegetarian and ask crudely, are you in some kind of a California cult? I get an explanation, but I don't understand. She some, says something about not eating anything once had a face. <laughs> and then talks about various allergic reactions to all things. After dinner, we go to a movie. The comedy Dumb and Dumber seems appropriate for our situation. 
I want to hold her hand. This was something we always did during a movie, but I can't make the move. It would be like a promise I couldn't keep, and worse still, it might be rejected. Hearing Elizabeth's laughter in the movie makes me feel so good. After the movie, I want to take her someplace where we could lie down and just hold her for a while. Of course, I could not ask for that. That night, she tells me plans to leave on Friday. Her sister will be taking to her to La Junta to catch the train back to Los Angeles. I think about asking her to let me take her down the night before so she can avoid the long drive on her departure day. Of course, my plan is to spend the night with her. However, I always love that aura of innocence in her personality that manifests itself in her trust of people, so I cannot ask her for what I believe would be a one-night stand. No problem. After all, my life is just fine now. I play golf every day with my friends, watch television, and have all the money I need. Elizabeth remembers. After treating the family to a New Year's brunch at the Holiday Inn, I went back to Bridget's house to rest and to get ready for dinner and a movie with Harry. It was hard to think of anything else the entire day. Even though I needed a nap desperately, I had stayed up all night at my daughter's to celebrate New Year's Eve. I couldn't sleep. Our dinner was delicious, but Harry seemed a bit upset over my vegetarianism and allergies. The movie, Dumb and Dumber, left a lot to be desired, but it was such fun to laugh again. I was disappointed when Harry didn't hold my hand during the movie, but afterwards, he was very solicitous to my footing in the snow and took my arm several times to steady me. It felt good. On the way back to my sister's, I suggested he might like to visit me in California sometime. I said he could sleep upstairs in my condo, and I would sleep on the couch downstairs. He shocked me with, I don't think I like those sleeping arrangements. I was speechless. Then he said, well, I suppose all the romance is over anyway. I composed myself a little and replied, it's never too late for romance. When I got to the door, I parodied a line from the movie we had just seen and teased, well, how about a big hug? He gave me one and made my day. January 3rd, 1995, Elizabeth remembers. To my deep disappointment, I hadn't heard from Harry since our date on New Year's Day. I decided to call him. I thanked him for the dinner, and I said I had a great time. He admitted that he did too, and asked me if I was going back to Los Angeles. I reminded him that my sister was driving me to La Junta on Friday. I then re-extended my invitation to him to visit, but I felt I was being much too aggressive. I was surprised when he seemed to like the idea. He said he had to finish his carport and some paperwork regarding his mother's estate. Then he would let me know when he could make the trip. I tried not to appear too excited to get my hopes up because I didn't want to be hurt again. Still, I couldn't help thinking of Harry all the rest of the time when I was in Colorado. When Bridget asked me if Harry had a girlfriend, I answered, I don't know. She said, why don't you ask him? I replied, 
because it's none of my business. But I really wanted to know myself. January 1995, Harry remembers. I receive a letter from Elizabeth thanking me for the dinner and the movie and inviting me out to Los Angeles again. She said I could attend some press screenings with her. The letter was signed, Love, Elizabeth. I interpret the love as a generic form of the word, but I call her anyway. I lie and I say I would love to come out, but I have a lot of responsibilities for the Senior Golf League and can't set a date at this time. In no way would it be possible for me to be in the same house she shared with someone else in the past. Knowing I would not go out there, I decided to tease her. I asked what what the living arrangements would be like. She says she would sleep downstairs and I could sleep upstairs. What, no romance, I exclaim? She tells me anything is possible or something like that. I now have a problem. Yes, indeed, folks. Harry has a big problem at the end of Chapter 1. And at this point, I'd like to welcome Carrie Lynn Wellborn and Kat Vecchioni from World Talk uh, Radio uh, to the show. They're in the chat room, and uh, they're uh, they're. Uh, 
appearance and participation is is very much appreciated. Now, you've all been listening to George and Lizette Bettinger read from the romantic memoir by Harry and Elizabeth Lawrence that won first place in the ebook category at the Hollywood Book Festival a few years ago and is now being adapted for the screen by Misha Zubarev. You also heard the great Judy Garland perform Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, which seems appropriate at this point in the story, too. And if you want to find out what Harry does to solve his problem, as well as how a surprising Las Vegas romantic adventure impacted Elizabeth and Harry's lives, all you have to do is order the ebook at Amazon's Kindle store. And I want to be sure to tell everyone about the extras included in the Kindle edition. Now, the paperback um, book is out of print, but the Kindle edition is an extended edition that has many more things in it than the original paperback. It includes 20 reviews of Elizabeth and Harry's favorite romantic movies, plus some yummy vegetarian recipes, such as thumbs-up spaghetti and Oscar-worthy nachos. Well, why vegetarian? I think you know because Harry mentioned that Elizabeth won't eat anything that once had a face. And we also want everyone to know that when you buy this ebook, part of your money goes to a worthy cause because the author's royalties are donated to the Imagination Library, a children's literacy project sponsored by the Dollywood Foundation. If someone wants to order the book but doesn't have a Kindle, there's a free application on Amazon.com that can be downloaded on any PC. It's really very easy to download this app. Most of you know how technologically challenged I am, and even I could do it. I also want to thank Denise Casino, who published the Kindle edition and organized the It Had to Be Us book launch back in 2010. You'll remember, some of you, that we even got to number one in one Amazon Kindle bestseller category that day. I think this Kindle ebook version would be a perfect holiday gift for movie fans who enjoy romantic films. And that seems like a good segue to read you one of my film reviews included in this extended edition. So here's what I wrote about the movie Serendipity, one of my favorite Christmas films. It was released back in 2001. No matter how stupid the plot, a movie love story usually works when there's chemistry between the two stars. In serendipity, which means fortunate accident, John Cusack and Kate Beckinsale seem meant for each other. Even though the characters they play are kept apart by a series of incredible missed connections. It's a story only the most gullible viewers will accept, but that doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it. Cusack and Beckinsale ignite the screen in their opening scenes together. Their flirtatious eye contact generates enough leftover glow to last while they are separated from one another during the major part of the movie. I wanted desperately to see them reunited, living happily ever after. Yes, you're right, Serendipity is one of those soulmate movies like Sleepless in Seattle and An Affair to Remember. And I might as well admit it, I'm an incurable romantic who needs this kind of film fix every once in a while. I don't even mind the predictable meeting cute scenes, the ones where two strangers accidentally bump into one another. 
but there is a slight variation here. While Christmas shopping, Cusack and Beckinsale both want to buy the same pair of black gloves on a counter at Bloomingdale's. Director Peter Chelson uh, appreciates the importance of first encounters like this. Here's what he says, quote, I think if two people ever get together or don't end up together, all you need to do is backtrack both of those individual stories, and in doing so, it makes the initial meeting incredibly fortuitous or serendipitous or something, unquote, which reminds me of the first time I met my husband-to-be. We were sitting across the aisle from each other in a high school world history class, and he made me laugh by letting me peek at a silly essay he wrote at his desk. I wonder how much fate or destiny was involved in that simple interaction. What if we hadn't, uh, what if we hadn't been assigned to the same class? What if he didn't show me his paper? What if his essay wasn't funny? Well, one thing I do know for certain, I would never have dropped that class without telling the irresistible boy I just met my full name. And yet, after spending an enchanting few hours with Cusack, Beckinsale does something as unbelievable, as unbe unbelievable by initiating a foolish who am I game. And 10 years later, these two are still trying to find each other. But time is running out, and both plan to marry someone else. Much to my delight, serendipity emerges as a cinematic ode to New York City. The cinematography is just beautiful in this movie. It features glorious shots all around the Big Apple, from the Regal Waldorf Astoria Hotel to an icy Woolman rink in Central Park. It really is uh, an ode to New York, and it makes the Big Apple look like a perfect city for lovers. So that's my review uh, that I included. That's one of the 20, and I do have a list of the other reviews that are in, uh, of romantic movies that are included in It Had to Be Us. Now, my husband and I argued about many of the films that we were going to put in the book, but we finally agreed on all of these. Serendipity, which I just read to you, The Fountain, Original Sin, Kate and Leopold, Love Actually, Tristan and Isolde, Under the Tuscan Sun, Music and Lyrics, American Sweethearts, Beyond Borders, Chocolate, D Definitely Maybe, Down with Love, Fever Pitch, A Little Like Love, Pride and Prejudice, Must Love Dogs, Last Chance Harvey, Moulin Rouge, It's Complicated, Two Weeks Notice, The Tao of Steve, and Talk to Her. So um, how can you go wrong? You know this is a shameless plug, but how can you go wrong? $5.99 for a romantic uh, memoir that includes vegetarian, <laughs> vegetarian recipes and 20 film reviews of uh, romantic movies. Time now for a couple of messages from two of our loyal listeners. Hi, comedian Nancy Lombardo here, host of Comedy Concepts, Blog Talk Radio. And when I need my movie fix, you'll know where I'll be found. That's right, every Tuesday at 4 p.m., listening to Betty 
You're listening to Movie Attic Headquarters with your host, Betty Jo Tucker. She's the real deal in what's happening on film. And if you're not real careful, you might hear the confessions of a movie addict. So get your popcorn and stay right there in your seat for Movie Attic Headquarters. And now back to our feature. and Nancy for those fun promos. I'm glad that Steve mentioned Confessions of a Movie Addict because that book of mine would also make a fun gift for movie fans on your holiday shopping list. It's available on Amazon.com as a paperback and in the Kindle store as an e-book. Plus, Nancy's comments about Show Me the Money are very important because my author's royalties for Confessions of a Movie Addict are donated to the Film Foundation. That's an organization founded by Martin Scorsese to help with film preservation. Now, before wrapping things up, I want to encourage everyone to check out some other radio shows, including Comedy Concepts, hosted by the hilarious Nancy Lombardo. You heard her on the little promo that I'm so happy to have. And uh, Comedy Concepts it airs here on Blog Talk Radio every Monday and Friday morning at 10.30 Eastern Time, and I'm really hooked on that show. And I've already mentioned the Mom and Pop Shop show, hosted by George Bettinger over there on Dreamstream Radio each Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. It's filled to the brim with entertaining interviews, colorful characters, and great music. You'll love it. Also, don't forget about the diverse shows on the Wacko Bob Network, now airing on Mixler. That's M-I-X-L-R. There's something for everyone in the Wacko wheelhouse. There's... uh, I, I know that, that we're running out of time. I think we've gone over time. I had originally intended this to be a half-hour show, but I got carried away. <laughs> and I, I want to thank George and Lizette Bettinger for sharing their talents with us today, and they are very, very talented. I'd also like to give another big shout-out to Denise Casino for her terrific work in connection with the publication and Kindle launch of It Had to Be Us. Special thanks to Diana Sanger and Lori Williams for believing in this book and publishing earlier versions, as well as filmmaker Misha Zubarev for his extraordinary dedication to this project. To Danny Dyer and Richard B. Smart for their technical magic. To Priscilla Leona, host of Question Reality, for her enthusiastic support. To Nikki Starr for being such a great producer, to the folks at Blog Talk Radio for their support, and to all uh, the listeners who have purchased my books, and to everyone for uh, tuning in. And um, and another uh, special thanks to uh, Comedy Concepts, Nancy Lombardo, Carrie Lynn Wilburn, and Kat Vecchioni for joining us in the uh, chat today. I hope everyone enjoyed the show. I know I sure did. Please come back next time for our annual tribute to a Christmas story featuring an interview with Zach Ward, the actor who played the mean red-haired bully in the movie. And uh, we have a, a, a pretty exciting schedule for the rest of December because in addition to this interview with Zach Ward and the tribute to a Christmas story, we are planning a big... Movie Addict Headquarters salute, celebration, tribute 
to the Star Wars franchise, and we'll do it just in time for the new Star Wars movie that's coming out December 18th. And then the last part of the month, we will be inviting our favorite uh, film critics to join us to reveal their top 10 movies of 2015. So I hope that everyone will join us uh, for these special shows that we've got scheduled for December. And in the meantime, don't you forget to check out our film reviews at realtalkreviews.com. That's R-E-E-L, realtalkreviews.com. That's all for now, folks. Here's Dave Barnes again to take us out with an encore of All I Want for Christmas is You. Can't